So God in a nutshell, we're going to be looking at this for just two weeks, so that's pretty much a little nutshell to try to understand and define and express who God is in just two weeks is definitely God in a nutshell. But I, I think we could go a whole entire lifetime of studying, trying to learn and know about God, and it would still be a nutshell. It would still be so little for us to be able to comprehend about all of who he is. Well, I think when it comes to God, there, there's something that we've all pondered. There's something that we've all thought. There's something that, that we've all questioned. And, and that is that we've all thought, we've all pondered, we all question when, when it comes to some of God's choices, some of the things that God allows, some of the things that God orchestrates. And we do. We, we question some of these things to the point where we even begin to question, um, I wonder if, if I would want God to do that differently. And I think that God should do it differently. And we start to think that. And so we start to question question God. And as we're questioning God, that we question, hey, maybe, maybe God should have done that differently. And, and so I, I think that we probably all of her honest, that we'd all say that that's something that I've done. I, I've thought about, I've questioned a decision, a choice that, that God has made or allowed. And I question whether that was the best choice, whether that was the right choice, whether that was something God should actually do, something that he should stick with. Imagine with me, imagine with me that, that you are God's advisor. That the God's going to look to you before he makes a decision and that he wants to know from you what, what he should do or shouldn't do. In fact, look at the person next to you real quick and imagine them being God's advisor. Now, that's kind of scary, I know, you know, when you're looking at that. When it's you, it's like, oh yeah, me, that's got to be good. But, but don't, wait, wait. No, I, don't know, I don't know about that whole idea about you being God's advisor. When I think about some of the things that, that we might want to change about God, I, I think there's a few that, that rise to the top that are, that are pretty obvious that a lot of people have thought and considered over the years. I think one of those is, is that we would make God visible, right? God, God, make yourself seen so that we can know, so we can see that you're there, even if it's just once in everybody's lifetime, but just, just so that you can show, just so we can see that you are there, God. I think another thing that we've thought of before is we've thought, hey, we would make God audibly heard, right? We would just want to be able to hear from God, right? Think about it. When you're praying, that you're going along in your prayer life, wouldn't it be good for God to give some kind of audible sense that he's there? I think most of us would even settle for this when we're praying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go on. Well, I, we, we wouldn't even have to, just so that we know, God, God, are you there? Are you listening? That we, that's one of those things that we might, we might consider changing. That I think when it comes to God and some of the things that we might consider changing about him and who he is and, and what's happening is that we think, you know what, God, I, 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 don't, I don't know about this whole poverty thing across the globe. God, I, what, can't you just change that? When, when, couldn't you just make it so where, where we don't have people that they're just suffering because they just can't afford to be able to have a, a healthy life, that that's one of those things that, that we might change? When it comes to God and some of the things that we might change, we might say, hey, God, why don't, why don't you let everybody go to heaven? And you might be here and you might be thinking, well, doesn't God do that already? And I think our Bible's been pretty clear that, that if we don't have a faith-trusting relationship in God, then, then we don't get to go to heaven. That we have to believe in His Son. And anybody who's rejecting that, anybody who's not believing that, that they're not going. And so some of us might change that and say, hey, we just want everybody to go to heaven. That we might change this. We might change, you know what, God, I, I just don't like how you allow there to be pain and suffering in the world. And so I just change that. 
So there, there would no, not be, there'd, there'd be no pain, there'd be no suffering in the world so that we wouldn't have to go through that. And, and then I think there's like the beauty pageant answer that we all kind of think about, and that is world peace, you know? That God, can't there just be world peace? Couldn't you just make it to where that we would all be able to just get along how our planet would be so different if there would be world peace? And God, you're big enough. And so why? Why not make that happen? I don't know what you would change. That if you could change something about God, I, I don't know. I don't know what it would be. But I think that you've probably thought about it. You've questioned it. You, you've pondered what it is that, that you might change. So if, if you will just entertain me for a moment and just share with somebody next to you, what is something that you've actually considered changing about God. Just go ahead and share that. Okay, so I, I think that probably went one of two ways. I, I, I think it either went like, that felt really powerful. <laughs> That felt good. I, I could actually say something that would change about that. Yeah, and it could improve him. And then for the rest in the room, it's kind of like, uh, that felt really awkward. That, that, that I would think that I could improve God, you know, and, and, and so it does. It, but yet at times, because we've all thought this, we've all questioned it, we've all pondered it, that, that we would want to change God, that, that we've all been guilty of having some thoughts about this. Now, when I think about giving a talk, I, I, I go back to my, my days in, in high school and even in college and, and being assigned, having to write some papers or even being in a speech class. And, and, and one of the things that, that, that we got told was we were told this, that, that the title for the audience, it's going to determine how much they want to get engaged in what it is, that, that whether you're writing the paper or whether you're giving the speech, but, but your title determines a lot about how people want to, what they're going to anticipate and whether they really want to get engaged. And so this title for this week has got to be one of the top five titles that I think I've ever put out there. And I'm not talking about the series title, God in a Nutshell. I'm talking about what I'm talking about today. And the talk, the title talk for today is Prostitutes, Prophets, and God. Oh my. And, and, and that can kind of like uh, takes our curiosity and go, oh, where, where's he going with that? <laughs> what, 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 what are we going to do? What, what are we going to look at, especially when it comes to this whole idea of God what? In one of these. God in a nutshell. We're just trying to take it. And how can we get a, a broad stroke understanding of God, capture this, understand this, see who he is, see what his nature is like. How can we do this in just two weeks and this first week is prophets, is prostitutes, prophets, and God. Oh my. So when it comes to God and who he is, how many of you would say that you have more questions than you have answers about God? Right? That we do. We, we, we've got a whole lot more that we question than what we actually understand. And so we do, we, we question some things. And there isn't anybody on this earth that hasn't questioned God. Whether somebody's going, hey, I question whether God exists. 
or whether it's somebody that they believe that he exists and, and, and they begin to question about him. Maybe they question, is there just one God and all sorts of religions or is it one God per religion? We, we just do. We, we question God. But when we start dialing in to a God that we might believe in, then we have even more questions. Some people question right now. It's like, God, why, why do we have to have the political climate that we have in this country right now? Why does it have to be the way it is? That we question that. Why, why does it have to be this way right now? And we question, God, why would you allow that? Some people, that they question God when it comes to that, that somebody that you love, they have to go through some difficult hardships or they experience some, some terrible tragedies. And we question, God, why? Why do they have to go through that? When someone we love, that they keep making these destructive choices over and over, and we keep praying to God and praying, God, will you do something? God, will you? And we keep watching them go from bad to worse. We question God because we're going, God, if you're there, why don't you intervene in their lives? When, when good continually loses out to evil, we question God. When, when death knocks on the door of the young, we question God, when we see these people groups, these nations, that they're dying of malnutrition and disease that could be easily eradicated, we question God. So we've all done this. We've all questioned God. And, and these questions and similar ones, that they cause us to, to, to think, well, maybe we should change God. Maybe God needs to change, even if we're not going to be the ones that changes them. But, but there's some things that we question about God. And do these things need to change? And our desire to change God, it comes from our limited understanding of Him. It comes from that we have a limited understanding of God. And that God continues to make all of His choices with, with the scope of eternity in mind. That everything that God does, it has to do with the scope of eternity. And so much of what you and I think about and, and what it is that we might want God to change on has to do with this temporary life that we are living. And so it comes from this very limited understanding of God. The God who created life, created life for us, and then he ended up creating us. And we get to see that he created Adam and then he created Eve and, and he created them to be in relationship with them. But yet in that relationship, they decided to disobey God. They decided to break God's heart. They decided to live for themselves going against God's instruction. And they sinned. And it broke the relationship that they had with God. And ever since then, there's, there's been a, a cycle with some people that they'll trust God and then they'll, they'll slowly drift apart and away from God. And then they start coming back closer to God and then they slowly drift apart from him and then they start coming. And, and there's been a cycle with people that, that they do trust God and they do want to believe in him. And that God has been a God that, that he's been involved in our lives. And he's been involved in our lives to, to seek to redeem us, to restore us. It's what he wants to do. It's what he desires to do. And he does it even though we keep retaliating over and over and over again. That we retaliate and he seeks to redeem. We retaliate, he seeks to redeem. It's who our God is. And so we're going to be looking in the book of Hosea today. 
And Hosea was a prophet. He was a minor prophet in the Old Testament. And we're going to be looking in, in his book at several different chapters. We're going to be taking quick little snapshots of to try to get this understanding, help us get this, this image of God, this understanding of God, God in a nutshell. And so the nation of Israel, this is God's chosen people. And as he chose these people and he separated them apart from all others and he seeks to let them know and he speaks and communicates and relates to them more so than he does anybody else, that this is his nation, is his, his nation that he just pours himself into, seeks to have this tight relationship with. But they kept having this repeated sin and their repeated sin was unfaithfulness. That they would continually be unfaithful to God. At one of these points, God just pulls back and he lets them become captive in Egypt. And for 400 years, they are slaves in the land of Egypt before he recruits Moses to go and, and capture, re release them from their captivity and send them into their promised land, this land that he had promised a long time ago. Well, they are now living in their promised land. And once they got there, it wasn't like, oh God, we, we, we're just going to serve you and love you and be true to you. They rebelled. And there was a cycle that was going and God finally reaches a point where, where that cycle is something that he is going to deal with once again. And what he really wants to do is he wants to try to open up the eyes of the Israelites he wants to open up their eyes so they can see just how they are being to him, their Lord, their God. So we're going to pick this up in Hosea. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 2. It says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, prophet, he said to him, go and marry. This book, it just starts out so well. Go and marry. I think about when I was single. And the one thing that I would do ever since I was about 16 years old, I would pray constantly for my future wife, who that was going to be. I prayed God's hand of protection on her. I prayed God's hand of protection on me. But I also prayed that, that, that we would follow God's plan and that, that we would unite, that, that we, would, we would do that. We wouldn't settle for anything less than God's best for us. Once I got married, we had kids eventually. And when we had kids, I started praying the same prayer for my kids. I have prayed it countless times. I couldn't even begin to understand how many times I have prayed that. Praying that, that my kids would settle for nothing less than God's best when it comes to the life mate of who it is. That they're praying for protection both for my kids, for who they're going to marry. It's just something that I would do. And here's Hosea, and he's a prophet, and he's, he's getting this assignment, step up before the people. And so here's what God does. He tells Hosea, go and marry. So let's look at what he says more specifically. He says, go and marry a prostitute. Now, this is where you and I are glad that we don't hear God audibly. Because if we thought that God was telling us that, we'd be like, oh, I, I certainly didn't hear that right. I'm not doing that. But Hosea, this prophet that gets to hear from God in a way that is unmistakable, whether it's audible or just speaks to him in his own mind, that is unmistakable. This is God. This is God's direction. This is what God is saying. He tells him, go and marry a prostitute. That, that, that's got to be a little baffling and a little shaking, right? 
Okay, God, I'm your prophet. That's kind of like being a pastor, right, in the day. And I'm going to be here representing you to all the people. And you're telling me to go and marry a prostitute. And so if, if you're like me, when you first see this, you're like going, okay. Oh, I, 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 got, I know what God's doing. God's going to say, go and marry. And he's going to show just how good it can be. And, and, and he's going to say, he's going to redeem her and pull her out of that life, rescue her from that. And he's going to take, here's a guy who says, listen, we'll love and accept anybody and everybody. And that's what God does. And so we go, oh, okay. That's, that's what God's up to. I, I get it. Okay. So he says, go and marry a prostitute. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Okay, God. You want me to go and marry? I, I, get, I, I, I think I can do that. Wait, wait. But you're telling me that after I go and I marry her, she's going to return to prostitution and she's going to end up having some kids after she returns to prostitution that aren't going to be my kids. And that's what God's up to. That's what God is doing. That's what God is saying. He said, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, and she became pregnant. Now, I just kind of imagine, this kind of world's world, just kind of imagining things, you know. And so, so yes, go and marry this Okay, I'm supposed to you know, go marry a prostitute. Okay, I'm supposed to marry one. And, and then God says, and, and there she is, and, and it's Gomer. And, and so he kind of goes like this. Well, golly. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just kind of think like that. It's where my mind goes. So Hosea, his, his first public act as a prostitute, as a, as a prophet, is to go and marry a prostitute. And, and so here's Hosea and, and the whole nation. They're, they're looking at him. They're seeing him. They're seeing who he is. He's a very public figure in their eyes. And they watch him go and marry a prostitute. And Gomer gives Hosea a son, Jezreel. And Jezreel means God scatters. And God gives some instruction and says what's going to happen and, and how he's going to scatter the people and they're going to be divided and what's going to happen. And, and, he, and he gives us some detail that we're not taking the time to read. And Gomer gives Hosea a daughter, Lo-Ruhama. And, and Lo-Ruhama means not loved. And then Gomer gives Hosea another son, Lo-Amai. And Lo-Amai, it means not my people. And we wonder, where did these names go? And why, why would they choose these names that mean this? And it's because God told Hosea, these are the names that you will give the children. God scatters. Not loved. Not my people. This is God's instruction. And what started out as what people might have thought as a marriage of redemption quickly looks like a marriage of regret. That that's what we, what we see right here in the marriage and the family. It, it did not get off to a very good start at all. So what could God possibly be up to.
What, what redeeming value is there here of what God is up to? So let's skip to verse 10. God says, yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sands of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are children of the living God. Here's God in the midst of his frustration, in the midst of his anger with where the people are with their rebellion, he still wants to rescue and redeem them. And he is still actively doing something to show this. Verse 11, then the people of Judah and Israel, they will unite together. That God takes and he splits Israel into two nations, Israel and Judah, two kingdoms. But then he says, but then they're going to be united together. They will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel when God will again plant his people in his land. Chapter 2, verse 1. In that day, you will call your brothers, am I, my people, and you will call your sisters, Ruhama, which means the ones I love. That's what's going to eventually happen. This is what I need you to do. This is what's going to happen. You're going to name your kids this. And this is what's going to happen with the nation of Israel. This is what I'm going to do to bring them back. But then we get in the meantime. So in the messy middle, what's that going to be and look like? And so we're going to look at Hosea chapter 2 and see this messy middle that's going to take place. But we're going to be looking at this in a translation different than the New Living Translation, what I, what I normally use, my mainstay. And we're going to be looking at the message. And the message, it's more of a paraphrase than it is a translation. And the reason it's more of a paraphrase than a translation is you've, you've got the individual that comes along and, and, and he comes along and he says, okay, I want to try, to try to write this out and I want to capture some of the nuances of what might be taking place and what it might be like. And there's some creative freedom that is being shared here. But, but when, when we look at this, I, I want us to look at this from the sense of, I, I think it's going to paint a, a more vivid picture of what's going on. And so that's why I want to look at chapter two in the message. So here we go. Haul your mother into court. Accuse her. She's no longer my wife. I am no longer her husband. Tell her to quit dressing like a whore, displaying her breasts for sale. If she refuses, I'll rip off her clothes and I'll expose her naked as a newborn. I'll turn her skin into dried out leather, her, bo- her body into a badlands landscape, a rack of bones in the desert. I'll have nothing to do with her children, born one and all in a whorehouse. Face it, your mother's been a whore bringing bastard children into the world. She said, I'm off to see my lovers. They'll wine and dine me, dress me and caress me, perfume and adorn me. But I'll fix her. I'll dump her in a field of thistles, then lose her in a dead-end valley. She'll go on the hunt for her lovers, but not bringing down a single one. She'll look high and low, but won't find a one. Then she'll say, I'm going back to my husband, the one I started out with. That was a better life by far than this one. 
She didn't know that it was I all along who whined and dined and adorned her. That I was the one who dressed her up in big city fashion and jewelry that she wasted on wild bale orgies. I'm about to bring her up short. No more whining and dining. Silk lingerie and gowns are a thing of the past. I'll expose her genitals to the public. That's a little awkward. All her fly-by-night lovers will be helpless to help her. Part, party time is over. I'm calling a halt to the whole business, her wild weekends and unholy holidays. I'll wreck her sumptuous gardens and ornamental fountains, of which she bragged, whoring paid for all this. They will soon be dumping grounds for garbage, feeding grounds for the stray dogs and cats. I'll make her pay for her indulgence and promiscuous religion. All that sensuous bale worship and all the promiscuous sex that went with it. Stalking her lovers, dressed to kill, and not a thought for me. God's message. Have you ever seen God in that light? Have you ever taken the time to to read through all of the pages of Scripture? To begin to see all of the sides of God? Because see, we we, we like the God is love part of Scripture. We we, we love that, that God will forgive anyone and everyone. That He's willing. We love that side of Scripture. But here's a side of Scripture that shows God's jealousy for His people. It shows God's anger, and it shows God's discipline of what he's going to do and what he's going to allow. But don't think of this as just punishment. It's discipline. And this discipline is meant for correction. That it's there to to help correct the people. And so all of this is going to take place with Hosea's wife. And to watch and see this in this public figure and all that's going to take place so that the nation of Israel will be able to see themselves when it comes to their spiritual infidelity. So that they would finally see who they are and how they have been. So let's continue. Verse 14. We'll start here. And now, here's what I'm going to do. This is one of those things that, that you're kind of like going, I kind of want to squint one eye, clever one eye. I'm not really sure how this is going to play out with this whole discipline and this punishment, whatever this is, whatever's going to happen. But here's God, and we clearly can see his anger and his jealousy in here. And now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date. And I'll court her. I'll give her the bouquet of roses. I'll turn Heartbreak Valley into acres of hope. 
she'll respond like she did as a young girl those days when she was fresh out of Egypt. And at that time, this is God's message still, you'll address me, dear husband. Never again will you address me, my slave master. I'll wash out your mouth with soap. Get rid of all the false, all the dirty false God names. Not so much as a whisper of those names again. And at the time, at the same time, I'll make a peace treaty between you and the wild animals and the birds and the reptiles and get rid of all the weapons of war. Think of it. Safe from beasts and bullies. And then I'll marry you for good forever. I'll marry you true and proper in love and tenderness. Yes, I'll marry you and neither leave you nor let you go. You'll know me, God, for who I really am. That's why God would allow this to take place. That's why God orchestrated it for Hosea to marry a prostitute so that the nation of Israel would see themselves in her behavior. And what she did physically, they would see themselves doing spiritually. It's why God orchestrated this. That Gomer, she did, she returned to her life of prostitution after marrying Hosea, and look at what God's instructions, look at what these are to Hosea. She's returned to prostitution. This is what he says, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, Hosea, go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel even though the people have turned to their other gods and love to worship them. And if we were to continue reading, what we would read next is that he had to put some pieces of silver together. He had to put some, some, some barley together. And he had to gather up some wine to go and purchase his wife back. It's his wife. And he still has to go purchase her back. And this is just foreshadowing. And they couldn't even see it, but you and I have hindsight, and we can, that God, in order to purchase and redeem us, sent his son. And he paid the highest price. He paid a price so high that we can look at our own selves and go, we're not worthy of the price that he paid. And you are right, we are not. But that's how much he loves us anyways. To seek to purchase and redeem us. Purchase, pay for our sins and redeem us back. We'll jump to chapter 6 in Hosea. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us, and now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us. 
so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. God loves us. And in the Old Testament, he loved his people. And in the New Testament, he still loves his people. And our desire to change what God does and allows, it comes from our lack of understanding him in light of eternity. Because everything that God orchestrates, everything that God allows, he does it in the scope, in the light of eternity. That we think so temporary. We think this short little lifetime. But God understands and he sees everything in light of eternity. And changing God, we can't change perfection for the better. We are imperfect. And we can't improve perfection. That God has always longed to have a loving relationship with his prized creation of humanity. He's always longed for this. And it was he who, in the Old Testament as well as in the New, has shown himself over and over and over again to be a redeeming God. To be a God that, that reaches out to pull us back in to relationship with him. This is just a two-part talk. And I really hope that you won't miss next week because really today's been a lot more of just a setup for what we need to look at and see as we look at God in a nutshell to discover who he is in a very compact, concise way of seeking to understand the, 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 the God who is not finite, he's infinite, as we seek to understand him. Pray with me. God, there are so many things that, that you do that, that we will not be able to comprehend. We will not be able to understand, fathom in this lifetime of what you're doing and what you're up to. But as we think about what you were doing here with, with Hosea and, and Gomer, God, God, for you to take and, and for you to redeem a prostitute that that you knew full well would return to that life after marrying Hosea. That God, you, you knew that, that, that she would eventually see the incredible love and faithfulness that he had for her. That, that she, would, she would eventually return to him to receive that, that best kind of love. That God, there is a a victory that she didn't even know that she was going to get to see, feel, or experience. God, you've done the same thing for all of us that we're, we're guilty of spiritually prostituting ourselves and, and these beliefs that aren't even real and, and the things that we worship that are not you. And you invite us to come back, to come into your loving arms.
God, I pray that, that we, we would accept your reach. That we would hold your hand that you offer to us. And that we would experience a victory that's going to last for all of eternity. By trusting you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.